Section 14 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cindy Henkin, Chicago. HenkinVO.com. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 4, Part 4. Next day, I wrote the following lines in the red book. What the carriage wheels and the street lamps were saying to me yesterday is not true, or at least much exaggerated. A sympathetic attraction to a noble and clever man. True, but passion? Ha! Huh. I am not going to throw my heart away on any man who belongs to another woman. He also feels sympathy for me. We understand each other in many things, Perhaps he is the only man who shares my views about war, but he is not, on that account, anywhere near falling in love with me, and I ought to be just as far from falling in love with him, that I did not ask him to visit me, on another day, than the regular reception day, which he hates, might indeed have looked a little unkind, after the intimate conversation we had been having, but perhaps it is better so, after the interval of a week or two. After yesterday's impressions, which have shaken me so, I shall be able to meet Tilling again quite calmly, relying on the idea that he is in love with another lady, and shall be able to refresh myself with this friendly and suggestive conversation. For it is indeed a pleasure to converse with him. It is so different, so totally different from all others. I am truly glad that I am able to sum up today this so calmly. Yesterday I might, for an instant, have been apprehended that my peace was gone, that I might become the prey of torturing jealousy. This fear has today disappeared. The same day I paid a visit to my friend, Laurie Griesbach, the same at whose house I had heard of the death of my poor Arno. She was the one among the young ladies of my acquaintance with whom I associated most, and most intimately, not that we agreed in many of our views, or that we understood each other completely, though this is, no doubt, the foundation of a real friendship, but we had been playmates as children. We had shared the same position as young married women, had seen each other almost daily, and so a certain habitual familiarity had sprung up between us, which, in spite of so much difference in the principles of our nature, made our conversation together quite pleasant and comfortable. The province, on which we met each other, was limited and narrow, but in it we were perfectly happy together. Whole pages of my spiritual life were quite closed to her. Of the views and judgments, which I had reached in my quiet hours of study, I had never told her a word, nor did I feel any desire to do so. How rarely can one give oneself entirely to anyone? I have often experienced this in life that I could lay open to one person only one side, to another only another, of my spiritual personality, that, as often as I have conversed with one or the other, a certain part, so to say, of the register was opened, while all the rest of the notes remained mute. Between Laurie and me there were plenty of circumstances which gave us material for hours of chat, our childish recollections, our children the events and incidents in the circle of our acquaintance, dress, 
English novels, and the like. Laurie's boy, Xavier, was of the same age as my son, Rudolph, and his favorite playmate, and Laurie's little daughter, Beatrix, who was then ten months old, was playfully destined by us to become one day Countess Rudolph Dotsky. So here you are again at last, was Laurie's greeting to me. Lately you have been quite a hermit. Even my future son-in-law I have not had the honor of seeing for ever so long. Beatrix will be quite offended. Now tell us, dear, what are you about? How are Rosa and Lily? Besides, I have some interesting news for Lily, which my husband brought me yesterday from the cafe. There is someone deeply in love with her, one that I thought was making up to you, but I will tell you all about it later. What a lovely gown that is that you have on. It is from Francine's, I know. I could tell that at once. She has such a peculiar style of her own. And your bonnet is from Godal? It suits you completely. He makes dresses too, now, not bonnets only, and with immense taste too. Yesterday evening, at the Dietrichstein's, why were you not there? Nini Chatek was there with a gindral dress and looked almost pretty. So she went on for some time, and I answered in the same style. After I had dexterously led the talk to the gossip which was current in society, I put this question in the most unconcerned tone possible. Have you heard that Princess Blank has a liaison with a certain Baron Tilling? I have heard something of it, but anyhow that is de l'histoire Today it is a perfectly well-known thing that the princess is mad after a low comedian. What? Have you an interest in this Baron Tilling? Why, you are blushing. Ah, it is no good shaking your head. Better confess. But for this, it would be an unheard of thing that you should remain so long, cold, and unfeeling. It would be a true satisfaction for me to know you were in love at last. It is true that Tilling would be no match for you, for you have more brilliant suitors, and he must have absolutely nothing. To be sure, you are rich enough yourself. But then, besides, he is too old for you. How old would poor Arno have been now? Oh, that moment. It was too sad. When you read my brother's letter out to me, I shall never forget it. Oh, war is certainly a sad business for some, for others, it is an excellent business. My husband wishes for nothing more ardently than that something should occur. He so longs to distinguish himself. I can understand it. If I were a soldier, I should also wish, myself, to do some great exploit. Or, at least to get on in my profession. Or to be crippled or shot dead? I should never think of that. One should not think of that. And besides, it only happens to those whose destiny it is. Your destiny, my love, was to be a young widow. And the war with Italy had to break out to bring it about. And I suppose it is my destiny to be the wife of a relatively young general. Well then, must there be a general war in order that Griesbach may get a quick promotion? You prescribe a very simple course for the government of the world. But... What were you going to tell me in reference to Lily? That your cousin, 
Conrad raves about her. I expect he will very soon make an offer for her. I doubt that. Conrad Althaus is too flighty a madcap to think of marrying. Oh, they are all madcaps and flighty. Still, they do get married when they get foolishly fond of a girl. Do you think Lily likes him too? I have not observed at all. It would be a very good match. On the death of his uncle Drawtheim, he inherits the Selavitz estate. Talking of Drawtheim, do you know that Ferdy Drawtheim, the same that broke off his connection with Grilly the Dansus, is now to marry a rich banker's daughter? However, no one will receive her. Are you going to the English embassy tonight? What? Again, no? Well, really, you are right. In these embassy routes, one feels, after all, not quite at home. There are such a lot of funny people there, of whom one can never be quite sure whether they are comical. Every English tourist who can get an introduction to the ambassador is invited. If he is only a commercial man turned landover, or even a mere tradesman. I like Englishmen only in the Talmnitz editions. Have you read Jane Eyre? Is it not wonderfully pretty? As soon as Beatrix begins to talk, I shall hire an English nurse. About Xavier, I am not at all pleased with his French maid. A little while ago, I met her in the street as she was walking out with the boy, and a young man who looked like a shopman was walking with her and seemed an intimate conversation. All at once I stood before them. You should have seen their confusion. One always has trouble with one's people. There is my own maid, who has given me warning, because she is going to get married, just now, when I have gotten used to her. There is nothing more intolerable than new faces among one's servants. What? Do you want to go? Yes, my love, I must pay some calls now that cannot be put off. Adieu. And I would not be moved to stay only for five more minutes, though the calls that could not be put off were a fiction. At another time, I might, no doubt, have entertained myself for hours in hearing such meaningless tittle-tattle and tattling back again. But today it displeased me. One longing had seized me, for a talk like yesterday evening. Ah, Tilling, Frederick Tilling. The carriage wheels were right, then, in their refrain. A change had happened in me. I had been raised into another world of feeling. These petty matters, in which my friend was so deeply interested, dresses, nursemaids, stories about marriages and estates, all that was too pitiful, too insignificant, too stifling. Away from it, above it, into a different atmosphere of life, and Tilling was really free. The princess is mad after a low comedian. He could not, surely, have ever been in love with her. Some transitory, yes, transitory adventure. Nothing more. End of section 14.